Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in our A Quiet Place movie review series. Today we are reviewing A Quiet Place, part two. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. And if you listen to your guide for A Quiet Place Part 2, that's the first link in the description below, we weren't sure when we were going to get to see this movie, let alone review this movie. It moved around multiple times. In total, it was over 18 months. They pushed it back. They pushed it forward. It was really crazy. But... Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm pretty excited we are actually finally getting to see this movie and thankfully we didn't have to wait between the first review and the second review as long as we thought we might have so yeah you're definitely going to want to listen to our your guide to a quiet place part two that'll give you the background on how the film came to be we talk about all the moves and then of course we're definitely going to link to our review of a quiet place and also our review of bird box which was our alternate pick when we found out we couldn't review a quiet place part two directly after the first film we decided to review bird box which was a very very similar film that ended up coming out in the same year all of that is linked in the description below along with other great reviews that we've curated for you make sure to follow us on letterboxd as well so you know what alan and i are watching throughout the week you can interact with us over there we are on all major podcast platforms so we have links to those links to our social media pages we got links to patreon as well so you can get some firsthand insight knowledge right away just subscribe over there. You'll get some great bonus content. Interact with us more on a personal level. And of course, if you're wondering what's coming out in the next few weeks, we always tell you the next four weeks. And then we link to the full 2021 release calendar, which Alan and I just updated. So yep. if you click on it right now, the next five months are are kind of going to be all wrong. It's we're reviewing we're reviewing almost all of those movies but in different orders. So that release schedule will be updated. If not by the time you're listening to this, then very, very soon. It should be updated actually since this is coming out on Monday. So yeah, should should be good. Well, Alan, I gotta ask, would this trailer get you into theaters? I know that was kind of posing a different question because it was very hard to get into theaters and we got used to watching movies in our home but would this one be kind of a theatrical experience you wanted to enjoy i think that it probably would um i think not even by having to watch the trailer uh, i would probably be willing to be in the theater because i noted in the first podcast or and when we talked about the first movie i noted that that theatrical experience was rather interesting and kind of unique um because you know like i mentioned it was a movie where i was just at a the first half an hour i was scared to move my seat in fear of making too much noise right and given that you know unique theatrical experience i think that i would be very willing to come back to see this one 
um, if I didn't have to do it already for the podcast. Um, so without even having to see the trailer alone, that was most likely going to be a yes. I would probably like to see this in a theater. But now after seeing um, the trailer, I'm still rather curious. I would if if I hadn't seen that first one or if I wasn't, you know, if I had watched it at home and didn't get that theatrical experience, I think that this trailer would still probably get me into the theater because it looks like it's like that first movie, but now we're going outside of the walls of that first movie. You know, we're exploring a little bit more. So I'd be very curious to see now that I saw what John Krasinski did with the first one, what can you do with the second one? So I would say, yeah, I would say the trailer would probably get me a theater as well. I'm in the same boat as you. When I saw the trailer a year ago, I was very eager to see this movie. It looked just as thrilling and intense as the first one. And go back and listen to our review of the first one. That was a great theatrical experience as well. And it's just an experience you can't quite recreate in your home. I mean, maybe if you're like watching it with like a ton of people or something and you have like a really good sound system. But this one was one I was going to be in theaters for, and I was. I went and saw it Memorial Day in the Dolby Cinema with my wife and parents. And for those of you who haven't been to the Dolby Cinema, it is supposed to tout kind of that Dolby vision, the Dolby Atmos, the Mm -hmm. seats rumble and shake and move. Um, It's a really incredible experience. And it was even greater because since I'm a T-Mobile customer, I got my tickets for, I got a ticket for four bucks, whereas originally the ticket was over $16. Wow. Yeah, you're lucky. I had to pay (laughs) almost 11 for mine to see it in the theater. Mm -hmm. At least I had reclining seats. I'm glad. There you go. As far as I'm aware, those are starting to become like uh, a thing now. Yeah. Every theater has them now almost. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw the first movie, um, I saw it at the theater out west. No reclining seats, very old seats, mm-hmm. not as comfortable as as this time. So the Dolby Cinema, I really think added something to it. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you're kind of on the fence. How should you go see it? Think that rumble in the seats, which I know you can put in at home. It's called a D box. Um, that really will give you an extra layer of an experience. Well, listeners, if you have not seen A Quiet Place Part 2 yet, it just came out, oh, gosh, a little over a week ago now at Mm -hmm. this point, about, what, eight, nine days ago? So you'd be forgiven if you haven't seen it yet, but we are going to spoil the film. We're going to get into all the spoilers here in just a second. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, you better click pause right now. Go ahead to your local theater. Theatrical is the only way to see it. It is not streaming anywhere. It is going to hit Paramount Plus in, well, less than 45 days now. So you really don't have too long to wait, a little over a month if you really do want to wait to see it on streaming. But nevertheless, we are going to spoil it. So click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. And then once you've seen it, come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. It is the moment after Evelyn, reprised by Emily Blunt, blasts the creature to smithereens. Her son Marcus, reprised by Noah Jupe, is having somewhat of a flashback to the first day the creatures invaded, remembering back to when his father, Lee, reprised by John Krasinski, for the flashback at least, was alive. Marcus, Evelyn, her new baby, and Reagan, reprised by Millicent Simmons, head in search of the fire lit in the distance. When their father was alive, he would light a fire on top of the water tower, 
and a few other fires would light off in the distance as well, as a way of communicating everything's alright. As the family makes their way towards the fire, they accidentally set off a trap alerting the creatures to their presence. As they are running away, Marcus gets his foot caught in a bear trap, causing him to scream in agonizing pain. This whole time, a sniper has the family in their sights. He seems to be friend rather than foe as he comes to help Marcus and deliver the family to safety. They hide out underneath an abandoned warehouse where their would-be savior turns out to be their old friend Emmett, played by Cillian Murphy. This seemingly family friend has lost his wife and son, leaving him with the hollow mindset of survive alone. He gives the family shelter, but only for the night. As Marcus rests up, Reagan gives him a pair of headphones connected to the radio when all of a sudden he hears Bobby Darren singing Somewhere Beyond the Sea. Reagan, confused why her father never heard it despite being on the radio every day, is told by Emmett it's because the signal didn't reach where they lived in the valley. She figures out this isn't random, but rather a secret code. She tracks the radio tower to a small island just a Jay's journey off the coast. Despite the protest of her brother, she journeys off on her own to reach the island. If she can hook up her hearing aid, up to the microphone, it will cause agonizing pain for the creatures wherever a radio is heard. Of course, her mother is worried sick, so she enlists the aid of Emmett, who is reluctant to say the least. Thankfully, Emmett agrees and saves Reagan just in time before she is killed by a creature. It takes some convincing, but she wins Emmett over to her newfound cause of saving mankind. Meanwhile, Evelyn's baby is running out of oxygen. Whenever the baby cries, they place it in a soundproof box with an oxygen mask so the baby won't suffocate. She decides she must venture out to their old drugstore to secure more oxygen for their child. Marcus, now left alone, ventures to the surface where he encounters a creature in the warehouse. Meanwhile, Emmett and Reagan are captured by psychotic marina dwellers. To make matters worse, Marcus, in the hopes of evading the creature, accidentally locks himself and the baby in a decommissioned furnace where the two will eventually die from asphyxiation. Evelyn, back just in time, has a daring showdown with the creature, where she finally destroys the monster and saves Marcus and the baby. Emmett and Regan escape the marina maniacs, but at the cost of a monster launching out on a boat. The two make it to the island where they find a thriving community. No one is quiet, children are laughing and playing, and all is right with the world. That is, until the next morning, when Emmett finds a beached boat containing slash marks from the creature. He clambers up the beach, back to the community where he tells everyone to get inside, but he's too late, as the creature is wreaking havoc on the community. He hops in a car with Regan and the main man on the island, played by Dejaman Hutsu. He drives them to the radio tower, honking his horn all the way, to draw the creature away from the village, but the man is tragically killed as they enter the building. Now with a creature to contend with, the duo must reach the radio booth in time before the creature can kill them. Emmett nearly loses his leg and Reagan nearly her life, but she slams the hearing aid onto the microphone, crippling the monster and stabbing it through the head as credits roll. So we can't go too far um, <laughs> without talking about this opening. Mm -hmm. um, because... Last time we talked uh, about, uh, at least I remember I brought up, you know, that air of mystery where the one of the things I really liked about A Quiet Place Part One is that we just kind of dropped in the middle of the situation, right? The monsters have already come, uh, and so this family has already learned what it means to, you know, hide away. There wasn't any explanation as to, you know, what happened before this 
it, we're just put right in the middle of it. So part two explains that. They explain, you know, the kind of the events uh, leading up to what would end up happening with those events in the first movie and then continuing on from there. Um, I gotta say, uh, and we'll, I will come back to this opening in a bit, but uh, this is a rather exhilarating opening. You know, it, it kind of is confusing because you, at first, we don't know exactly where we are, um, but bearings, we get those bearings straight up, straightened up pretty quick when John Krasinski, Krasinski pops out of his truck and it says day one. Um, and we find out that, the, that these monsters are actually aliens. They came down from a meteor um, that hit nearby their town. So I got to say, this is a pretty exhilarating opening, um, especially when it comes to its camwork and especially when it comes to its sound. Um, two things that I feel like have, at least with camwork and I guess both of them, yeah, have have stepped up since the last movie. There's, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. There are multiple things that I like about this opening and yeah, first off, John Krasinski wants to pull the audience in. He wants to lull us into a false sense of security. It's also mm -hmm. confusing because he's dead. But yeah, right. he's the first character we see in the beginning of this movie. And I know my mom was like, wait, I thought he died in the end of the last one. And he's driving a car. And you're right, come to find out it's a little over a year ago from where the first movie ended and it mm -hmm. is day one and he brings up he brings us right up to the moment of where the creatures are attacked the last few moments of normality in human life i like how people right. are just enjoying a hot dog they're just relaxing and in some ways i feel like that kind of resonates with today's society how you know, we used to be able to go to these fun events and functions and enjoy company of other people and enjoy a baseball game and whatnot. And that all changed. And it all changed pretty fast. Not as not as fast as this. This really just comes out of nowhere. But it is incredibly exhilarating. And I think in a lot of ways, he has studied, I think, like monster movies from the 50s, more of those kind of creature features like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, because at first it gives me that kind of feeling where something is terrifying coming. It's not quite mm -hmm. right. Um, you know, get in your cars. Let's hunker down. Let's go home. It really is giving me more of this classic 50s nostalgia vibe until the monster comes and obliterates everything and then the way it's shot, the way the camera moves, you really feel like you're living this traumatic event with the characters. Right. And I like that, you know, it's kind of set in like this small town. So you kind of get this weirdly intimate feel um, when the monsters do attack. Mm -hmm. uh, because and it, it's, I think what makes it most impressive um, is with its use of tracking shots. There are a couple... Um, Two in particular that really stand out to me, and it's after the monsters are attacking and both parents are trying to get away. Um, there's one with John Krasinski. He and his daughter are, they're walking away from the baseball field, and then he hops in the truck, and in the rear view mirror, you see the cop car pull up, and he goes one sec, hops back out of his truck, and goes to talk to the police officer, all done in one shot. Mm -hmm. um, and then something very similar happens with, with the mom and her two sons, where they hop in their their car, and they start driving away. Um, and they're kind of driving through like downtown um, and drive past their dad. And then they have to put it in reverse as there's like a city <laughs> bus coming their way. Um, yeah. 
And it's all, again, all done in one shot. And this is what really pulled me in was not just, you know, what happens when, you know, when the monsters attack, you know, that, like you said, the, those last moments of normalcy before chaos, but also just the way that he shoots it does, he does a really, John does a really good job um, at, I would say, really pulling us in just with his camera work alone. Uh, this is... Again, like I mentioned a second ago, this is a step up from the last time. This movie looks really good, not just as in this opening scene, but just kind of all throughout. Both movies look good, but I think this one is definitely a step up from last time. I could tell the theater started to hold their breath once the mm -hmm. monster hit. There was multiple times that I jumped in this movie. Uh, my wife jumped. My mom jumped. I couldn't see what my dad was doing down on the other <laughs> end of the row, but it is incredibly intense and... Um, that is something that Krasinski wanted to do was he wanted us, he wanted to bring us along as if we were actually there. That's what he's trying to achieve with these shots. And then mm -hmm. when things just happen, that's just how real life is. It's just so unexpected. He didn't want to make, he didn't really want to make them cheap jump scares. He wanted to try and bring them more towards real life is like, if this was to happen in real life, then you would just be caught off guard. It would be unexpected. And now all of a sudden, you have to deal with something that you didn't weren't really prepared to deal with just a couple minutes ago. And I think that's why this opening is great. And I do think it blends together pretty well. And you're right. I do like um, the small town feel. It gives me a little bit of a vibe of The Crazies, the remake, which I really like that film a lot, um, where that also opens at a baseball game. And that crazy guy comes onto the baseball field he tries to shoot the cop i won't tell you anymore um just go check that film out but it i do like how it all is taking place kind of in this one town square they're running into buildings and it's kind of funny because the guy is starting to say the lord's prayer which surprised me at first and then yep. he's like okay pray it in your head you know jesus will still hear you <laughs> if you pray it in your mind but right. and i think i at first, I think some people might question, how does he know to be quiet right away? I think it's just logical, you know, survival of the fittest is if uh, you're being hunted by a predator, don't make a sound, just be quiet, don't raise raise an alarm. So, right. um, the, okay, though, one other thing with this opening is it takes us into um, Regan's perspective a couple times where she's experiencing this whole thing where the sound will just kind of drown out and cut out and then it'll like cut back in really quick and i think that's letting us know that we're going to follow her as the main character this time i thought i really like how they mess with sound in the beginning of this yeah much like what they did with the last movie where sound was a big part of it this is again same kind of deal um sound is a very big part of it and uh, i would say that you know with when we do focus on the daughter, when we do focus on Reagan a lot, that's when it really comes out. Um, like this opening, but that's also a number of times um, in the film where it'll like cut to her or like, go into like, I guess, her perspective on like mm -hmm. something and the sound will just cut out. Uh, for a, a great example is um, when she goes off on the adventure and she finds or comes and Emmett comes and finds her and saves her and brings her back to, I guess, this like, safe area and then leaves the next morning she realizes that her hearing aid is gone and mm. we, we watch it in, in complete silence as she like walks outside and then starts crying um only then the, does the sound come back once Emmett shows up 
Um, that's again another kind of clever use, I would say, of of sound in this movie. And this movie does sound really good. Um, I bet it sounded even better if, if I was in Dolby <laughs> Atmos. But with just what I had, I think as we just in general, along with those a couple of examples, um, this movie sounds really great. And I wouldn't be surprised if it also got an or it's gotten nominated for an Oscar um, this upcoming year. It, it definitely should get nominated for an Oscar for sound design. And I really hope it gets nominated for cinematography. I don't know if it's because I was watching this in Dolby Vision, but this film just looks incredible. I mean, so many shots just look so beautiful and real. This was not mm -hmm. shot digitally. This was shot on 35 millimeter film. You can- I wondered. Yeah, you could tell, you could see the grain, I'm sure, particularly in certain, certain shots. And I'm like, okay, I see grain. This cannot be digital. And it's not. And this- I, I don't know. This is like winning me back over to film. Not to say I was ever like all aboard on the digital train, but this just looks like movies I haven't really seen for a long time. I mean, th I, this was giving me feelings combined with the score of The Last of the Mohicans, just this grand epic of a film. And it's still told in a small story, but yeah. Just how real stuff looked, how faces were lit in the dark. I mean, oftentimes it, I just felt like I was transported there. I really hope this gets an Oscar nomination for cinematography. I mean, this new cinematographer at the direction of John Krasinski, they've done something really incredible. These shots just looked incredible. They also used... um the scale really well. I'm particularly thinking of when Emily Blunt's character is um, fighting the creature and the rain is coming down from the building after that really bright fire. Um, yeah. Just the whole scale of it really felt like you're in the room with that creature. You could tell the scale. I loved it. Yeah. And kind of going back to, um, to Reagan again, um, there is a point in this movie when Reagan, like I uh, just, I guess I just brought this up a little bit ago when she goes off on her own. Um, I started to get kind of excited because I wanted to see, you know, uh, what this movie could do with Reagan as like the main character. Um, mm -hmm. Now that she's on her own for a short while, you know, what it, where is this movie going to go from there? So I was very curious. I was very interested to see, you know, where this movie was going to go with Reagan on her own. Um, because I think it could still survive. I think this movie could do a lot of really interesting things you know, following Reagan. And I got to say, I was pretty excited to see when, you know, she was walking off on her own um, mm -hmm. in her more or less adventuring without anybody. Uh, really wanted to go towards that radio station that they found. Um, I got to say, I was, I would think, and they, I think that they kind of fulfilled it. They did a pretty good job at, I would say, Reagan's character in this movie. Because again, she is the main lead, more or less, of the story here. Tell me you're not getting the Last of Us vibes. We've got a kind well, of gray yeah. bearded man, a young girl going off on an adventure. They have to fight creatures, especially the Last of Us Part Two. Ellie is trying to get to the island, and I think, or maybe the other character was. I'm just saying, this is what I said last time. People are wanting the Last of Us, the movie. I think we've really already got it here. Especially if you take part one and part two as like a three hour supercut. Mm. I think they owe some stuff to the crew over there at Naughty Dog. Um, I couldn't help but get those Last of Us vibes. I, 
I think it's kind of a nice translation if you want to take it that to the cinema. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I was waiting to <laughs> see how long it would be before somebody, one of us, brought up The Last of Us. Uh, <laughs> it, I'll bring it up again later because okay. you're right. Um, this movie does take off eerily a lot, especially when mm. Emmett shows mm. up to help her um, when it comes to at least visually stuff like The Last of Us. Um, or even just by even just by coincidence, we'll talk about it in a sec. But you're right, <laughs> yeah, this we does feel like The Last of Us. And I think last time we talked about this, I said that yeah, when it comes to like um, movies like this, right, end of the world uh, or post-apocalyptic kinds of movies, there's almost like a checklist that each of them have to check off. And even The Last of Us kind of falls prey to that. Um, that I would say that it's still still kind of still kind of the case here, but even more of those Last of Us vibes in this one. So I absolutely do agree with you. I got to know, what do you think of Marco Beltrami's score? I personally think it's even better than last time. He does bring back some of the themes mm -hmm. that he introduced in the first one, but some of the stuff is a new composition. And I got to be honest, Alan, sitting there in the theater, watching this movie, listening to the score, everything all taken together, it was a cinematic feel like I have not felt on the big screen in a long time. Granted, I haven't been to the theaters too much, but this score, just like I said, it's giving me these Last of the Mohican vibes. It's just mm -hmm. giving me this sense of an epic that we really haven't seen since the 90s and before, honestly. I will agree with you part way. I, I think that uh, there's a particular scene in my mind that, I, that really sticks out. It's when... Um, it's when Joel and Ellie are on the bridge uh, and they look out. <laughs> I think that's when they see the, the boats. Uh, I think that's the one. But they're on a bridge and it's during sunset. Um, they're kind of walking through a bunch of cars um, and they stop. And I think that's when they see uh, some boats. Um, that's mm -hmm. when it really stuck out to me um, with for the music. So I do agree. Um, I can't remember what I said last time about the music. I think I said something along the, fa along the lines of um, I didn't really notice it. Um, but this time around, I did. Uh, this time around, I think you're right. I think that it is a step up from last time. It is interesting because the score has some kind of scary elements. It has quiet elements, but it also has these kind of sweeping, grandiose, epic elements to it as well, where it's not necessarily an epic, but it is trying to instill in you quite a bit of emotion through its music. I definitely felt it sitting there. I really hope it gets, um, I, I will also say sometimes that score is really taking some stuff from Bernard Herrmann with, um, his Hitchcock scores, particularly. Um, if you think of the scene, um, where all three kind of things are going down at once, where mm -hmm. Emmett and Reagan are trapped on the marina and he's grabbing the guy by the throat and pulling him back and, the other two characters are kind of having their fight. Um, it's violins. I'm pretty sure some kind of strings and they're like, gives you this almost a bit of a psycho vibe is dun, 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 dun. dun yeah. It's just like going really quickly. I mean, there's like Hitchcock, there's everything with this score. I mean, it's one of my favorite scores. I can't wait to listen to it again, but there's a, there's a lot to it. So I'm hoping it gets an Oscar nomination. Yeah. I, I would be curious to see if it gets one. Um, I think from, What's going to be coming out this year? I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up getting at least some nominations, not just in particularly the score. Um, yeah, but 
I think I'm with you. I think that this probably does deserve a best score nomination at the very least because it is it is good. Uh, we'll see if it ends up there um, when the Oscars come around, but I wouldn't be surprised um, if at least got some some kind of Oscar when those Oscars do come around. Now you did mention how this really is reagan's film she is more so the main character of the story mm -hmm. and i would also say cillian murphy has a lot to do with it as well but before we get to them i really do want to give some credit to noah jupe he impresses me again it's not easy for someone that young to express the range of emotion that he has i mean when he gets his leg trapped in that bear trap i oh, really yeah. believe he's in pain he yeah. does way better than those dummies in Jurassic Park 3 when they're getting eaten by dinosaurs and they don't even look at William H. Macy's face. He's not even scared. And he's got a Spinosaurus after him. It's so unbelievable. Right. But this I find to be much more believable where he's very traumatized, very scared. And I think kind of the first I say the first third of this movie is more so kind of focusing on him setting up for his responsibilities mm -hmm. because the flashback cuts back to him hiding in the basement. And then his mom says, come on, let's let's go when he is he's now the middle child. He's no longer the youngest child. Um, I think he I think he gives a great performance. I agree. I absolutely agree. I definitely especially noticed it with that bear trap scene. I think that was when like he's screaming out in pain. Where I'm just like, wow, he it feels like he actually stepped in a bear trap and got his leg caught in it. Like it, it feels like a genuine reaction. Um, so I, I absolutely agree. I think that uh, he, I think last time, um, what, what's her name? Mille Millicent. Uh, Something or other. Millicent Simmons. Yeah, Millicent Simmons. That's her last name. Last time, Millicent Simmons, I think, was a bit of a surprise. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. I don't think she's done a whole lot before mm. A Quiet Place no. 1. But this time around, I think Noah Jupe really shows off like how good of an actor he is for being so young. Um, because, yeah, we watched him. We saw him in uh, the first one. And I recently saw him in Honey Boy and 4V Ferrari. Um, oh. and I've been surprised every oh, time I because I that. forget that he's like, um, you know, that good at acting. So yeah, I think this is definitely the one that really, I think of all the roles I've seen him in, this one I feel really shows off more of how good of an actor or how much more of a broader range he can express as an actor. Now, the other main male character in this, Cillian Murphy, we've reviewed him in Inception, Dunkirk, mm -hmm. Batman Begins. He's in a great a uh, Wes Craven movie called Red Eye that everybody should check out. Great thriller. He is interesting because he is contrasted with Lee in many ways yeah. because Evelyn, her example of a man is her husband, Lee, who has done everything to take care of them up to the point of even sacrificing his life. He was kind of the perfect example of how a man should take care of his family, look after them, sacrifice for them. Whereas... Cillian Murphy's character, Emmett, is very much the opposite. He has gone through the traumatic experience of losing his wife, and we kind of have this weird psycho moment where he finds, um, what's his name? Marcus finds Emmett's wife's rotting corpse, and they don't really go too far into that, and the, he draws a picture of his deceased son, who we saw alive in the flashback, if you want to call it that. He's contrasted with Lee because he doesn't want to help. 
he wants to be an ostrich, stick his head in the sand, and just don't mess with anything. Whereas he has to be pushed out of his comfort zone to go and help Regan. He doesn't speak any sign language. So I think that was something I was actually very curious about is I really like Cillian Murphy as an actor. He's Irish, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. You can't tell with his accent. He has a good accent. Yeah. Yeah. I know he was in a movie called 28 Days Later. Um, oh, I still want to see that. Yeah, I I quite like that movie. Um, it's still a post-apocalyptic movie, but it has a very interesting style to it. But that's where I think I attribute this role to mostly is that role of him in just another post-apocalyptic movie. But I, yeah. I think you're right. I think it is clever to go down the route of, you know, having a father figure, if you want to call him that, it really becomes one towards the end, I guess, um, mm-hmm. be a complete opposite of what we saw before. Uh, pretty much. And it's uh, also an opposite that, you know, where Lee died, but his, so his family could survive. Um, it's the other way around with, with Emmett and his family where his family had died and he's a sole survivor. Um, so while these characters from both, both families are different from one another, um, they also complement one another. And we do get to see how, you know, at the very end of the story, he's essentially given up hope, right? That's like the big theme of this movie is that of hope. Um, we get to see that uh, at as he goes along and goes on this adventure uh, with Reagan, he regains that. And I think he has a line. Let me go see if I can find it. He has a line towards the end when he's talking with like the leader of that camp. Um, he says it's necessary to give in is what he says, which he's referring to, I hope that is. So I think it's an interesting, his his character has a very interesting arc, I feel, um, when it when it comes to Cillian Murphy and the role or the character of, of Emmett. I uh, definitely attribute him to Joel, especially after a certain <laughs> point in the movie. Um, but I do I do really enjoy his character. I think I think I really like it too that, you know, um, I knew I had a feeling that there's going to be like some monster in the closet that's going to be revealed with his character. And there kind of is, but it's never really acted upon. And it's when Noah Jupe finds the dead wife, the corpse, the dead yeah. wife. it's kind of like a, like a monster in the closet kind of thing, but they bring it up and they never like resolve it, I guess. They never bring it back. I kind yeah, of actually weird. really like that, that it's just like an, an element, but mm. it's never really talked about any further. Yeah, it's almost blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. It's, kind of weird i'm wondering if they'll explore any of that in the third one probably not but it it does play into his psyche that he has not buried his wife which isn't normal and in fact he's let her body decay long enough to the point that uh, she needs to be buried definitely and we have no idea what happened to his son. And it is interesting because in the beginning, in the flashback, he's got his sleeves rolled up. He's got a tattoo. His brother's right. in the military. Seems more like a tough guy. You know, Lee, you know, just seems like any kind of normal man. But then come to find out that, you know, when the going gets tough, Emmett doesn't really, he has what it takes to survive, but he just doesn't have the will. Right. So I ultimately do like his character arc where at first he seems more like an enemy and come to find out he's the guy on the other side of that fire we saw in the first movie, mm-hmm. which is something you and I speculated about, Alan, why they never went to go see those people with the fires. But now she needs their help. It's Emmett's bear trap that gets Marcus all mangled up. And mm-hmm. I do like how they play with that suspense in the beginning. He has his sniper scope on them. And you're wondering, is he just going to take out this family? Because he'd rather not deal with them. 
and uh, he's definitely a flawed character. Cillian Murphy always brings his best, so I really like that. Um, and, you know, one of the other things, just ultimately to compliment the movie, is I think they are able to achieve, for me, the same level of suspense throughout, which is something rare. I don't think a lot of m sequels can always do that, but I think they really do bring the suspense here and definitely on the edge of my seat. And I know my wife and mom were really, really on the edge of their seat. Let's say that. <laughs> I can agree partially. <laughs> mm, um, okay. I think the opening really got me. The opening, I at the very least, it caught my attention. Um, and I would say it's when the the town got attacked too. That was when I was like, oh no. Uh, and that builds some suspense. That whole town attack when they get, or sorry, the uh, like the island attack and then leading into uh, them going up into the, the radio tower. Those are the mm -hmm. two moments, that I guess kind of the beginning and the end, that I'm like, okay, I'm, I can really feel the suspense. Uh, some of the things in the middle never really got, got me. Um, more oh. specifically, there is the scene when like all three things are happening. Mom is going to the grocery store to get stuff. Um, mm. Emmett and uh, Ray Reagan are attacked by the Doc Bandits. And then you've got <laughs> uh, the brother... Uh, what's his name? Noah Jupe's character. Yeah, he leaves the hidey hole um, to go investigating. Um, that's for that was a scene where I'm just like, I feel like I should be like edge of my seat for this, but I'm like totally not. Um, so I think for me, it worked sometimes. The suspense got me sometimes, but not all the time. I will say some of what you just brought up is probably my main my main major criticism in the film is particularly that kind of triptych sequence where it's the mom, the brother, and then Reagan and Emmett. And it's almost trying to squish in there too much at once, I think. Mm -hmm. And I would say, yeah, when Marcus is wandering around and he gets scared by the decayed wife, and then that really has nothing to do with the story per se. And right. then the monster just, comes in and he's splashing in. I was actually, I thought it was intense that he locked himself in and then the mom has to get back in time. Mm -hmm. But the whole boat dock scene just doesn't really work for me. I mean, I feel like something more should have come out of it than this creepy girl putting a chain around Emmett's neck. And I'm getting this Pirates of the Caribbean vibe, like all of a sudden yeah. they've transported and it's like the curse of the black pearl <laughs> with these people and these people never talk and they look back and forth i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to be getting out of this except i guess the suspense of are they going to murder him on the spot are they going to take them to me i'm i'm feeling like krasinski's building it up to be more than it ever really comes out to be and ultimately he grabs him by the throat he gets slashed around and they escape and it's just like okay that's it all right yeah, and that's kind of why I felt like last time with the last movie, I felt like sometimes some of the suspense that they try to build just feels kind of weird. I think this is a good example of it, this one scene here, where it, it feels like he's trying to do something that uh, that Nolan would do, where you know you have multiple scenes happening at one time, um, and they're mm -hmm. all all of them are intercut together as like you know a suspense montage. But I don't feel the same level of suspense here um then not not necessarily 
uh, anything known related, but just where, for, uh, compared to other scenes in the movie that are suspenseful. Oh, that's also a scene too where uh, Cillian Murphy, you know, he uh, wraps the rope around the guy and then jumps in the water um, and the monster starts attacking the guy in the pole. But then he starts like choking Cillian Murphy, so he's like trying to <laughs> stay alive and is thrashing about, even though he could so easily just cut the rope because he has the knife in his hand. Um, it's like those kinds of small things. And the you also brought up uh, Noah Jupe when he hops out and then just like discovers the dead body and then like runs back downstairs and you know lures a monster into the hidey hole. Um, <laughs> it's kind of those kinds of things where they, it feels like they're not le really leading anywhere. It just kind of is trying to set up for the next scene or trying to set up for something else to happen later. Um, and that's the only sole reason why it's there. It, 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 I think that it kind of the same criticism for this one, not my biggest one, but same criticism uh, for the second movie here. Sometimes when they build suspense, it just feels kind of weird. I'd go along with it more if they were actually jeopardizing their journey, like actively like sinking boats mm. or going through their bag and they're threatening to throw the hearing aid in the water or actually, you know, taking away from stuff that they really need. We just don't get any of it. They just kind of stand around. They walk back and forth. They give them looks. It is really weird. I don't know. It just feels like we're missing something there. That was probably the one thing that I felt like there was a big misstep where I get what they're trying to do, but they're really just kind of missing that key ingredient. Right. The other thing that I felt a little disappointed with coming out of the theater is that I'm hungry for just a little bit more. Like this movie is about an hour and a half to me, it doesn't feel like quite enough. Like I get it. It's a fat free runtime. It's, you know, very slim, but in some ways, I guess this really is feeling like a part, not like its own thing, but it is technically called part two, but I feel like I'm needing part three to get the whole main course. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think we could have had some more heart heartfelt character moments like we did in the first one. I feel like we're kind of missing those. There's some of them there, but I feel like we're opting for more action. There's like a little bit more desperation in this one. I think the other problem is we had to wait a little over three years for this movie. And if we only had to wait, like, let's say like 18 months, then I think I might not quite feel this way. But I just think they could have done more with this movie they could have made it a little longer i don't think i think it's just a little too slim for me yeah uh, i guess it didn't have necessarily the same feelings but i, I think i know where you're coming from I, I think i understand you know what, you, what you're saying um because i think you're right you know this it was pushed back for over a year and so that expectation kind of just continues to build because it's still not out yet it got pushed back um even though it wasn't necessarily its own fault for doing so um so I kind of get where you're coming from. I kind of get where you're coming mm -hmm. from. One of my bigger things, uh, I think this is probably my main criticism, and this kind of comes with making a sequel, is the last time I praised the movie for not explaining a number of things. It doesn't explain to us where the monsters came from. It doesn't explain to us, you know, how they work or whatever. It doesn't explain to us how other people are work, how other people are doing 
even though we know that there are others outside of their camp, we as evidenced by the fires that are lit every night, um, there are a lot of unknowns to that first movie. And I praised it for that's what you know really drew me in is those unknowns. Um, this movie still has a few of them. There, it's not it explains absolutely everything. But I think that there's a bit of a problem when you start off with you know the day that the aliens came down and you explain that you know they are aliens and aren't just something else, right? You, you're not leaving it up to the audience's interpretation as to what these monsters really are, which I thought was really what made that first movie, at least for me, really enjoyable. Is again all those unknowns, especially when it came to those monsters. Um, so I have, a, even though I do like this opening, it is very, very exhilarating and fun. I do have a bit of a problem where, well, now we're explaining where these monsters came from. I don't want to know this. I, I would rather not know than to know where these monsters came from. And then, of course, you also get into the, uh, uh, the other stuff, which I'm not as uh, big about, which is when they, ex when they go outside of their camp or uh, sorry, outside of their farm and they meet, you know, Emmett and they meet. Uh, the dock guys and and they even go as far as to find an island and they find another weakness of the monsters and stuff like that that isn't as big of a deal but i still feel for me at least it, it does kind of bring the movie down because i don't want to know this i would rather uh for me at least i would rather not know and just kind of you know have some have it be something that i just kind of like well what if this like with the with the monsters for example then have it explained to me yeah, I don't have a problem with the opening with knowing where the monsters came from. To me, it was enough of a 50s homage to those old sci-fi films of some creature falling from the sky or some extraterrestrial coming to wreak havoc on the civilians. And I at least appreciate it's not like they're going into explanation of where they actually came from, why they're actually here, why there's these sound creatures. There still is a lot of mystery as mm -hmm. to all of those questions, although we do now have it confirmed seemingly that they did come from the sky. We didn't actually see we didn't actually see a creature fall from the sky and get up onto the earth and start fighting. We just saw a giant fireball in the sky and then the next thing we know a creature is attacking. I'm sure those two things are connected. But for me, it was just enough without going too far. Um, I will say I actually really love that they go out. I think this series needed to go outside of the homestead. They needed to kind of go out into the world beyond, grow the world a little bit more, see what other people are doing. And Alan, we're going to talk about this at the end. They are making a spinoff. So we're going to get much more of the world of, of a quiet place. I can't, I, I can't tell if you're happy about that or not. My guess is not, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think I don't want to know too much. They did tell us that these creatures are afraid of water, which mm. is interesting. That's information we had no idea about in um the first one uh, right. nothing to do with water whatsoever except being quiet i think most of this is a smart and logical outgrowth of the first movie and i do like it's not a monumental task like joel getting ellie across the u.s or at least part of it it's just getting to this island and getting this radio signal out now I don't know where, how they're powering any of this stuff. They must have some incredible generator and some incredible oil reserves to power the generator <laughs> with gasoline. Um, there is still some, some of those kind of discrepancies as to how they're actually able to 
do some of this stuff on a large scale. But, um, yeah, you know, okay, so the main, the, his name is just Man on the Island, Diju Hunsu. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he's really famous. He's from Gladiator, Guardians of the Galaxy, multiple other things. I was disappointed his character went out so quickly and in not a great way. And the whole stuff on the island doesn't last very long. I was actually very intrigued by the trailer to see um, his character and Emmett putting those two kids in the closet and then they shut the door. That gave me um, M. Night Shyamalan vibe about signs when they're sitting in the closet, remember? Mm -hmm. And they got their tinfoil hats on and whatnot. I think that's one of the things that pulled me in most with the trailer was seeing so many other characters we've never even seen before all of a sudden. And we see Cillian Murphy running through the town and we see people driving around and I'm like, what in the world kind of movie is this? It seems very different, but still in the world. I feel like it didn't quite deliver because this whole community stuff is there and gone very quickly. Now, they might be wanting to save that for a third film. Who knows? But like I said, I think this still is somewhat of a standalone movie, but I'm just kind of hungry for a little more meat with character building and interactions throughout the movie. Yeah. I do have to ask, you know, they play, so they have a radio station and they're playing like a song on repeat, right? Which is Beyond the Sea. Um, but why though? Why would, why on earth would they, would they do that? I mean, (laughs) the daughter figures it out, right? Well, it's a, it's a message if we actually like, if they actually have a community, you know, uh, in, on like an island, right? Um, but at the same time, like, you know, why not like make like a voice message that even, even if you don't want to give away where you're at, you know, at least explain, uh, oh, the monsters can't swim. Right. <laughs> or something along, the, something along those lines. Right. It is. I guess it just feels weird that they would play, uh, you know, a song on repeat on a radio station um, for seemingly no reason. I, they, I guess they don't, don't really ever explain that, but it just seems weird and like almost like a give me to get the plot moving along. Yeah, we're supposed to realize that in a very brief exposition dump. That the man on the island said that the National Guard or Coast Guard or Army or something was loading people onto boats, but the boats were overrun, mm-hmm. so not very many people made it. Somehow they figured out they were afraid of water, which is just like an M. Night Shyamalan signs. Yeah, and I also got some of those signs vibes in this movie too. Yeah. Um, along with Best of Us. There definitely was. And only these people made it to the island and they've been thriving and... It seems to insinuate that only those who are smart enough, they only want smart people to be able to decipher this song that's, I mean, the record, the needle's going to run out pretty fast, I would think. I don't know where they're going to find extra needles and parts for this old record player. And it's a record, too, which is kind of weird that it's so old. But that's the one thing that I that they kind of gloss over very quickly is they don't want you to focus on it too much. I don't know how the deaf person under figures out the code of the song when she can't hear the song. I think it's just her brother tells her what the lyrics are. And then somehow she pieces together where the radio tower is coming from. And 
that they should actually go out there. Um, now, if this was a bleaker film, they would get to the island and it would be like Shutter Island and it would all be a right, trap yeah. and yeah. a trick, but it's not. It's all happy and good. Right. Um, there is some fuzzy give me's on how this all comes about. I, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah. I think it's also kind of weird the how about how they find it too, because uh uh Reagan puts the duck puts the headphones on her on her brother and it's just kind of flipping through radio stations. Yeah. And it just happens to come across it. And it's like, <laughs> oh it's a message. It's a message, right? So it just it's another one of those things where and I think this is I think there are a lot, or maybe two, I think that there are too many gimmies in this movie, um, where things just kind of lead into another by like a, almost like a thread. This is one mm-hmm. of those where I feel like, oh, they put, she put headphones on him for some reason and found a radio station um, that only works up there. And that's what starts this whole adventure. Um, and why they were playing that song over and over again, who knows? Just maybe because, like you said, maybe because they only want people who can decipher it. It it just feels kind of weak to me that that's the reason for this whole adventure by a complete accident when, as far as I'm aware, as far as movies explain to us, there really aren't any radio stations um, where they're at. So why would she decide to do it then? Yeah, she said that she said that her dad listened to the radio every day, so he would have heard the station. But Cillian Murphy says that in the valley, the the station doesn't reach down into the valley. So only once you get out of the valley, could you hear the station, which is kind of hard for me to believe. Also, if her dad really is checking every radio station and he knows that one isn't coming in. Mm-hmm. then he surely would have been able to hike up out of the valley and try that station two with headphones. Um, but apparently he never did. So they're just going to live down in their farmhouse forever, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, it's a little iffy with some of that stuff. Yeah, um, because they don't, I mean, they don't like say that until after they find the radio station. Um, after the brother like says, oh, it's a song. And then Silly Murphy explains that, oh, yeah, that song's I, been there, but I don't know what it means. No, nothing's I mean, down there. Yeah, so he knew about the song beforehand. He wasn't going to bring it up. I just don't really understand, even in, to begin with, why she put his put the headphones on. I mean, yeah, did she just want I'm him saying. to listen to White Noise? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what uh, yeah. I don't get. Yeah, it, yeah. it is weird. It is very let's just use the word serendipitous that she just so happened to put headphones on her brother because his foot got in a bear trap. So he needs to listen to white static on the radio. And Mm -hmm. I I know that whole, that whole segment was just, it's almost kind of blink and you miss it. It it moves along very fast because they know it's kind of weak and you don't want to think about it for too long. Right. It's, it's kind of weird. I agree with you. Um, the other thing that I was semi kind of disappointed with is the story kind of splits off into two and then it at a certain point splits off into three and the third storyline kind of comes back together into that very quickly and we're, it, we're just kind of left with like, oh, okay. So it's really just the brother and the baby trying to survive with oxygen and then the mom's whole storyline is just going to get oxygen she gets to kill a creature and then she never they never ever know if these other two survived until they hear 
the horrible feedback shooting through the radio and then he realizes his sister succeeded. But I just feel like the mom storyline, even the brother storyline, I was a little disappointed when I saw, oh, they're kind of taking them out of the plot for mm. this movie and they're just going to kind of leave them back at their new homestead. The mom has to venture out once and they do create suspense and thrills with what they're given there. But it's just, I mean, in the beginning, it was very exciting because she was pregnant in the first one. And now this one, right. she just has to fetch oxygen tanks. It's just a little bit of a, I, I don't know. You see where I'm going? You see what I'm yeah, saying? No, I was just about to say, I don't think that mom in this movie does hardly anything. I, <laughs> I, I feel like she's given like nothing to do um, in this yeah. movie. Outside of that, like we just mentioned, she goes out to get more oxygen, to get more gas for the baby, I guess. Um, yeah. That's like the really the only thing that happens. And when she does leave, it's it's to build suspense. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think mom is given much to do in this one, unfortunately. It's the kids' movie. The kids are really the main stars of the show, which is, I get, you know, that's another one of the big themes in here is legacy. Um, but still, mom, who is a pretty, or was a pretty big character in the last one, I feel like she's given nothing to do here. And that is disappointing because that's how the first movie concludes is with her you know, pumping the shotgun. Yeah. And you think, oh yeah, she's going to be the tough mom. She's going to go out into, you know, the barren wasteland and lead this family on some kind of journey. And because her son gets trapped, she has to stay there and nurture him. But then the daughter runs off. So it, yeah, it, it's kind of disappointing. So I'm, I, I'm honestly very curious how they're going to work this into a third movie if they do mm. a third movie there's no confirmation yet whether there will be a third one but nevertheless yeah you kind of come to realize like oh the brothers the brother is crippled and the mom has to go get the oxygen tanks which is an obligatory very easy thing for her to come up to do because right. they introduced it in the first movie and of course oxygen is going to run out eventually but I hate to say it, Alan, but this is m more of a TV plot of having the mom going to get the oxygen than I would say worthy of a cinema plot. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And I mean, I, I said I bring this up um, a little bit ago, so I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, the Last of Us. Um, mm -hmm. we've brought it up a couple of times in this podcast already. And I think that it is really hard to go too far, uh, in this movie. If you, I mean, I guess if you haven't played the games in a different story, but I, for me and maybe, and I'm guessing for you too, it was kind of hard to go after, um, after Reagan goes off on her own and then Emma shows up and then they go start going on an adventure. It was very hard for me to not see the last of us in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. especially be given the setting, given what's happening, you know, a teenage girl going along in the post-apocalyptic world with a older middle-aged man, um, just for me, just kind of screams that game <laughs> to a T. And there's even a scene that later on when, when Reagan does kill the monster, she is, she pulls out like an electrical pole that had like broken off from the wall, um, mm -hmm. And the inside of where they're at in the recording studio is just the red from the on-air sign. And so it's just red. So she's walking up to the monster with this pole. And holy cow, did I get Last of Us 2 vibes because there's a whole section dedicated to um, Ellie in the very similar scenario. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say for me, where last time you got them more, um, I feel like this time, especially in the second half of the movie, I got them to a dangerous degree. Yeah, and Joel and Ellie were very much at odds to begin with. Joel didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want to take Ellie. Then they grew to form a companionship. And then they encountered multiple times, even separated at once, where, um, you know, bandits or robbers or people came after Ellie and Joel became incapacitated. And then Mm -hmm. ultimately, they get to Jackson, kind of their safe haven. And that's where they get to. They get to the island. And I know the island is a big part in part two, but at least just staying consistent with part one. There's a lot of similarities, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing because I'm sure a lot of these people at the cinema haven't played The Last of Us. They're not going to play The Last of Us. But I don't think, I'm not saying it's plagiarism. I am saying there's definitely some strong inspiration. And I think it is possibly a way for people to get some of those last great Last of Us vibes and relationships in a movie because they're not going to sit down and play a 15 hour video game and whatnot. But yeah, I brought it up last time. It's even more so this time. Before you know it, we'll be reviewing part three and they'll we'll meet these characters called like Joel and Ellie and they'll be, yep. <laughs> they'll be, it'll be like this crossover all of a sudden. Yeah. What, what if, what if, uh, a quiet place is just like a side story to the actual last of us main storyline. <laughs> like they actually are all connected together. Um, that'd be kind of funny, but I mean, to be fair and kind of like you said, it's not like it's exactly plagiarism here. Um, and I, I agree. I think, like I said last time, when it comes to a movie like this, a post-apocalyptic setting, there's almost like a checklist that you have to go down and it's not like the last of us didn't have any of those things either. Um, there are a number of things in the, in both of those games that are very much the post-apocalyptic checklist that they had to go down, um, almost to make it like that genre. And so just the similarities between this movie and that game, um, more so than, well, you know, what I guess what I would normally see is what why I kept attributing a lot of these, especially the second act, a lot of these elements to The Last of Us. Um, they're already similar just by genre, like I mentioned last time. It's the same thing here. Um, but now with these added elements of Emmett now joining the party, uh, it's kind of hard for me to not see The Last of Us some, at, at moments in the story. Yeah, and I mean, the concept of a creature that operates off of sound and having to stay quiet, I don't know if I brought this up in the last review, that is one of the, also one of the elements in The Last of Us is the oh, clickers, yeah. Yeah. where yeah. the clickers cannot see, but they operate by sound, they have these weird deformed heads, so you have to be really quiet and stealthy in the game. If you make any noise, they will come towards you, they could even swarm you, it gets really intense. So just that whole concept to begin with, I already saw in The Last of Us. I don't know if that was in anything else before, but yeah, you'll come to see one of my recommendations might be The Last of Us when we get to that here in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, Alan, I'm pretty curious where your score is going to go with this one. What is your rating and recommendation for A Quiet Place Part 2? So, A Quiet Place Part 2, compared to the first one, um, I think, so last time I felt like after a certain point, that movie just kind of stopped progressing. Um, 
I never felt that one here. Uh, I never felt like after a certain point, the movie just kind of stopped progressing, like the first one. Um, so I think that this movie definitely has a lot more moving parts to it. It's not both these, both of them are pretty simple movies. Like there's not like a whole lot to either one of these uh, of these A Quiet Place movies. But I think where they differ is again with how much they explain. I liked the first one a lot because of what it didn't explain. That air of mystery really intrigues me because you get to as an audience member kind of get to put together what really happened in the story to get to this point um like with where the monsters came from or what everybody else is doing it's just focus on one family and their survival this one's different this one branches out which i'm not necessarily opposed to um but what i am opposed to is when it like when it came to explain where the monsters came from i don't really want to see that i don't really care to see that i want to leave that as a mystery but even that aside even like the things that i the mystery parts aside i feel like this one is almost it's kind of a weaker story in in some ways because the trek to get to plot elements feels very gimme um, we talked extensively about the plot elements of uh, Noah Jupe's character, where they just so happened the daughter, the Reagan, put on the headphones for some reason, and then he heard a radio station um, that played Beyond the Seas. She figured out it was a code, and then she had to go down and find it. Right, um, that whole plot thread just feels rather weak. It doesn't feel very, you know, very fulfilling to me. Um, and there are a number of other things too that just kind of like suspense wise uh, like i mentioned last time i felt like that one just has suspense scenes that just feel kind of weird um this one i think in some ways is better especially with the opening and the closing but and sometimes does just what the same or if not worse with that one where it like all three there are three different things going on at one time and i it didn't really work out for me at all so i think it, this is a fine movie um i think a Quiet Place 2 is a fine movie. I will, will probably own it on Blu-ray, um, but I don't think it's anything spectacular. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. I'm going to give it a, a pretty mild recommend. A Quiet Place Part 2 didn't necessarily exceed my expectations, but it didn't have to. The theatrical experience of the first film was incredible, and being able to see this with a group of frightened people white-knuckling their seats was the return to cinema I was hoping for. The second installment brings the same thrills, better action, and heartfelt characters making this a great sequel. It actually feels like a true continuation of the first film. While the two stand alone, this could be popped in to make a sequentially seamless three-hour thriller. While there's one segment that really doesn't work for me, I did have a blast with A Quiet Place Part 2. It features great characters I care about, despite very little dialogue, but I'm truly gripped by the thrilling action. This is a smart outgrowth of the first, taking the family to new locations and logically presenting how they can overcome these creatures on a large scale. Featuring gorgeous cinematography, a moving score, and a smart plot, albeit halfways, I really like Reagan and Emmett's plot, whereas the other half of the plot is definitely leaves a lot to be desired. I do have a feeling, though, A Quiet Place Part 2 will be among my favorite movies of 2021, just like the first was. Krasinski, you did it again. I can't wait to see what he has in store next. A Quiet Place Part 2 receives 8 stars out of 10 with a strong recommend. Man, we're pretty split on this one then. 
we were split on the last one too because the, that's, I gave that's the, true. I gave the last one a nine. And you gave the last one a seven. So you are still considering the. I I guess we both consider the first one to be the better one. Yeah, I I think for me they're closer. Um, it's kind of hard for me to say definitively which one's better. Uh, I mm-hmm. think I guess overall I would probably go for probably the first one more than I would the second one. But I feel like I got more out of the second one. So for what I didn't like about the first one, in some ways, that was better than this in the second one, and then vice versa. So I guess yeah. as an overall package, the first one is a little bit better than the second one. Yeah. So is it safe to say you would say this is a good franchise, but not a great one? Yeah, I think it's a fine, uh, above average franchise. Um, yeah. I think that's what I would say. Yeah, your average score, 7 out of 10. My average score, 9 out of 10. I clearly like this series a lot more (laughs) than you, we could say. Mm -hmm. But if we just for fun want to mix in Bird Box, then (laughs) it, it brings my thoughts on this type of film to 7 out of 10. Yours is 6 out of 10. Yeah, that sounds about right. Really yeah. brings it down because Bird Box, neither of us recommended that movie. No, no. <laughs> so, Alan, you did mention that you would pick this one up on Blu-ray. Is it going to be a day one? Is it going to be a pre-order or are you going to wait for it to go on sale? No, I'm going to wait for it to be on sale. I probably wouldn't. This would be one that I probably wouldn't pay more than mm, probably $12 for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know sometimes after we review movies, you'll like, hop on Amazon and like order it then, but you haven't put your pre-order in is what I'm gathering. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. If it's a movie that I really, that really hit me, I'll order it on Blu-ray immediately or pre-order it depending on the movie. Um, this is not the case. This one, I'll wait for it to come out and then wait for the press to drop. I will definitely pick this one up on 4k. I can't wait to add it to my collection. I have not pre-ordered it. I don't plan on pre-ordering it. Um, I'm going to see what the price is around Black Friday in November. If it's the right price, I might pick it up then. I might just let my family buy it for me. Um, <laughs> but we will see. But it's definitely one that we're, we're both going to put in our collections. Yeah, this would be a good one. This would be a great one to see in 4K HDR. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie, good movie to see that with. Yeah. 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 And it definitely also to show off your... Um, if you have a Dolby Atmos set up in your home, this might be your new reference disc for when people come over. Yep. Well, Alan, what other film, TV, or video game recommendations do you have? So I did briefly mention this at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Cillian Murphy's role in 28 Days Later uh, reminded me of this when it came to this movie. So that's my first recommendation is 28 Days Later. Um, It is not PG-13. It is definitely an R-rated movie. Um, <laughs> For violence? So, violence, and there's a little bit of nudity in it, at least in the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, it's very early 2000s, but has a quite has a pretty unique style because of how it was filmed. Um, it's kind of one that is hard to really explain without just watching it. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to get your hands on. Last um, I checked, it was on like uh, Prime or something, but... That's my first recommendation. Um, my second is, huh, I actually just watched this one recently, uh, Greenland with Gerard Butler. Oh, Very yeah. different movie. Um, 
not a horror thriller like this one is. It's very much a end of the world uh, action, sometimes comedy and sometimes comedy for the wrong ways movie. Um, but it, it deals with meteors, and so and so that's where I made the connection. Mm. And my last recommendation, which I'm guessing we both have, is The Last of Us One and Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I don't think I recommended them last time, but uh, with this one, like we've been talking about, I very much got those vibes. So those are my four recommendations. All right, listeners, I'm going to be recommending a movie I don't think many of you have heard of. It is a 1962 black and white film called Panic in Year Zero. It's about a family that leaves Los Angeles for a camping trip, and all of a sudden in their rearview mirror, their father sees a mushroom cloud. And from there, the film gets very suspenseful. Things go very wrong. I'll never forget when I saw that scene. I thought that was pretty masterful. We don't see the explosion. We just see in his rearview mirror, the mushroom cloud and his worry of what that means for the rest of the world. If you're looking for a movie that kind of has that, like everything's just gone to heck, uh, Panic in Year Zero is a forgotten classic. I think a lot of you should seek out. I'm also going to be recommending The Crazies. I have not seen George Romero's original film. I'm going to be recommending the remake. I know I've recommended this one before with Timothy Oliphant. I think that is actually just an underrated film of going on the run when the world goes into chaos and just kind of rural America and how I just think they use uh, the adventure very well uh, with the landscape. Well, Corbin, uh, looks like the uh, George Romero is on the George Romero version is on Prime. Oh, so pretty easy to get your hands on. Yeah, I really have been meaning to check that one out for a long time. Curious to see what the differences are, because I know I think that one came out in like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if I'm if this is actually like a positive recommend, but nevertheless, it's a recommend to check out. Um, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, starring Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning, another father and daughter on the run at the end of the world. I'm actually very curious to rewatch that one. I saw it many moons ago when it came out. I know I'm showing my age now, but <laughs> I, I do remember that. I remember that when it was in theaters, came out on DVD. I'm curious to ch- recheck that one out. Of course, I'm going to be recommending Last of Us 1 and 2. If you've got a PlayStation, you got to get it. It is very adult with uh, some of its themes and violence and it's Mm. heavy they're heavy so you got to be prepared going into those and my last recommendation will be the last of the mohicans i guess i should explain which one there's multiple renditions of that movie i'm talking about the michael mann one from the 90s starring the very famous daniel day lewis the score is done by randy edelman he is very famous trevor jones also helped him with that as well um michael mann did a fantastic job daniel day lewis is incredible as well it was nominated for best sound so go and listen for the sound last mohicans fantastic um it is streaming on prime video so if you've got prime you can check it out there well this is not the last we are going to be seeing of the quiet place a universe Now, Krasinski has said he has ideas for a third installment. He just came out 
like last month and said that i think everyone is expecting a third one honestly yeah because they're yeah, so I'm, so popular yeah i'm sure that this one will do great in the box office um it's already done really well just with its opening week so my guess is i would i wouldn't be surprised if a third one came out but in the meantime we do know in november 2020 paramount hired jeff nichols to write and direct a spinoff based on an original idea from John Krasinski, who will produce. This was according to an article from The Hollywood Reporter. I'm very curious to see what a John Krasinski idea spinoff can do. Not in Krasinski's hands. I mean, he will be producer, but he's not writing and directing. And um, he did come on as sole writing credit with this one. Um, apparently, everybody who pitched Paramount ideas didn't make the cut, and Paramount said, Krasinski, this is all you. So, this was all Krasinski last time. Um, he had two, it wasn't even his own original idea. He had two other people screenplay writing with him. Um, I'm curious to see what those guys are going to do. Beck and Woods, I have no idea what they're off doing right now. Well, listeners, the question after the show is if you heard a mysterious radio signal in a post apocalyptic world, would you believe it's a safe signal or luring you to danger? I got to be honest, Alan, I've seen too many things too many times where you think it's safe and it's not. I'm not going to do it. I learned my lesson from The Walking Dead. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with you. I think it would be risk, very, very risky to investigate the signal. So I'm with you. Well, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will be coming back next week with the first installment in our Kung Fu Panda series. We are going to be reviewing the Kung Fu Panda trilogy straight through. After that, we are going to be reviewing Air Force One. Originally, that was going to be Top Gun, but we decided to push Top Gun um, back down to where its theatrical release for the sequel will be the Top Gun Maverick is coming out Friday, November 19th, 2021. So we will be reviewing the So Far duology together that way. And then after Air Force One, we will be going back to the 90s. We are kids from the 90s after all with Space Jam, of course, leading up to the brand new film Space Jam, A New Legacy, which comes out July 16th. And listeners, thank you for joining us. Make sure to subscribe so you won't miss next week's review. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. So make sure to share with your friends and family. Subscribe to us everywhere. Why not? That way you'll never miss anything. And we will see you next week with Kung Fu Panda. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, 
Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Kind of that Dolby Vision, the Dolby Atmos, um, the tickets, not the tickets, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.